This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take me. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a live One Heat Minute at Sydney Film Festival. Now I have surprise surprise guests. I have a great guest. They're going to get introduced. But uh, what I just want to do really quickly is surprise even the friends that have joined me. Some of you have actually been on the podcast before. But do a super special surprise live from LA at 2 a.m. in the morning is Joe Lynch. Hello, Joe. Please go on the screen. Hello, Joe. Hey. Joe. Come on, let's switch this screen, guys. I want to see Joe's face. He can see me. You can be formally introduced to the drunken madmen, as you call them. Oh, boy. <laughs> Here we are. Yes. 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 There he is. Look at that. There's the wonderful LA skyline. I am currently 13 minutes away from the location that you guys are going to be talking about tonight. Uh, the, I think you guys are in the cafe tonight, right? That's right. We're at the Kate Manolini's cafe oh, scene. 90th minute of the movie. You guys are in for a treat tonight. <laughs> uh, and, and yes, and good day to all you drunken bastards. <laughs> And so I just want to quickly, for my special uh, uh, drunken bastard guests, before they get their formal introductions, gentlemen, can you please stand up and wave to Joe? So, Joe, you can put faces to names. Stu, Luke, Garth, Joe. Hello. There we go. And you guys look drunk as hell. <laughs> and, and, and you would like the T-shirt. I know you might not be able to see, but it is the famous One Heat Minute uh, 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 sort of celebratory T-shirt that I got put together from Kate Manolini's <laughs> di- Diner scene on my shirt. So thank you, Joe. Like thank you so much. Joe Lynch has been a huge part of the show. He's an American filmmaker. If you guys don't know him, he's directed the awesome uh, Mayhem Everly and uh, a soft spot for a lot of LARP fans. Nights of Badass, and which we, which I have a really soft, soft, soft spot for, and he, uh, Peter Dinklage, really was the guy who, you know, he kicked off his whole career. Take credit for it, Joe. Um, but uh, sure. uh, <laughs> um, Joe's been such a huge part You're of the show. World. <laughs> Joe's been such a huge part of the show, and I just, I, I did not think a two a.m. Uh, wake up, but he'd actually was out at a midnight screening of Bullet. Is that where you were tonight, Joe? Yes. Uh, there's a place down the street called the New Art Theater, which has been. One of those like great repertory theaters has been around forever. They were showing Bullet tonight. I've been doing some research for my new movie, and actually, I was just watching Heat, so this was kind of cinema serendipity. Uh, but yeah, Bullet was playing, and uh, but I had to leave Bullet just so that I could be on this. Because oh. Blake, well, Blake just felt like you know the other guests were probably just going to be too sloppy to be able to <laughs> get through the rest of this evening, so. Had to call me from L.A. Uh, but look, I love Thank this you. podcast. And you guys are doing such a bang-up job. Uh, just remember to call me when you get to the heist because that's like that's the good stuff. You're all in. You're all in for the heist. Awesome. Guys, I'm going to let Joe go. Ladies and gentlemen, thank Joe Lynch. Huge round of applause. Joe, you're a legend. I love you. Thank you so much. We're going to get into this actual podcast. Thank, mwah, mwah, mwah. thank you, Joe. 
Ladies and gents, as I said, my name is Blake Howard. Thank you so much for coming along to Sydney Film Festival Town Hall Treasury Room for a live episode of One Heat Minute. Um, it's a bit of a rainy night and Vivid seems to have turned people off, but uh, I hope you enjoyed that surprise. Joe Lynch, right? 2am. He's pretty, pretty cool. That's a nice surprise, even for my guests. Now, um, I'm going to introduce you uh, to my guests one at a time, and I've also given them a theme tune, um, which is good. So if, if you want to just go, not to this slide, let's go to the, the we'll go to one next one, because we had Joe on. Yes, I was going to show you that first, but I want to get Joe on. It's 2 a.m. in the morning. Here he is directing Salma Hayek, his movie Mayhem, Everly, Knights of Bad Aston. But let's go to the next slide, shall we? Here he is. Now, this is Mr. Luke Buckmaster. And that is Junkie XL from Mad Max Fury Road. It is pertinent to have that music because he's the author of Miller and Max, the Mad Max saga in great, amazing stories. Launched exactly one year ago from this stage. Luke Buckmaster, film critic of The Guardian, daily review, flicks.com.au. Welcome to the stage, sir. Welcome to One Heat Minute Live. Thank you. Thank you. Any seat you like. Any seat you like. Next up. Next slide, please. Now... This, this is a cutie pie picture of one of my dear friends, Garth Franklin, when he was on a panel, I think at Comic-Con, I found 10 years ago, the theme song that should be playing is something from Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, go back, go back, back one, back, back. There we go. There should be a theme song playing from Big Trouble in Little China. Um, And I love this picture so much because he's so cute. It's, yeah, here he is. Ladies and gentlemen, the editor-in-chief of one of the oldest, most enduring and ethical movie news websites on the internet. It's 21 years old. He was one of the original Magnificent Seven. They're all dead or in a sexual harassment scandal by now. This is the man that is not that. <laughs> this is the man that is not that yet today. As Mr. Garth Franklin, welcome to One Heat Minute Live, Mr. Garth Franklin. Thank you so much. Oh, don't trip up. Wherever you want to sit. Next one, let's go. Now, hopefully, the next song plays. Crank the song up next. Here we go. This is, this is the Cantina Band theme from Star Wars. This is my uh, theme for Mr. Stu Coot, who is the co-host of a really rad podcast called The Cinephiles and part of Geek of Oz. He is freaking hilarious and one of my favorite people and helped me drunkenly one year ago, not too far away, launch this idea, as did Garth. Welcome to the stage, Mr. Stu Coot. Here we go. Now you can turn off the cantina, guys. We can go to the hold slide. Thank you so much. Last and certainly least. <laughs> there we go. How did you like that surprise? you like that surprise? I did. Not bad, not bad. Not Great bad. surprise. I did okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Next year, someone from the cast. Maybe. We'll see, what, we'll see how On we On this stage. You're promising it here. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not going to promise it now. Al Kilmer, next year. Uh, <laughs> he's free. <laughs> Someone's like, he's free. If not free, he's very cheap. Very cheap. Guys, um, if you have never seen the podcast before, welcome. If you've never heard of the podcast, um, especially welcome. Basically, what we do in this crazy, uh, obsessive, professional uh, uh undertaking is go through every single minute in sequence of Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus Heat um, and we watch each minute at a time. Now, if you're playing along at home, you're up to episode 57, which has been published. I've fast-forwarded for a live crowd at Sydney Film Festival to give a special minute. We are at the 90th minute of Heat, which basically means nothing to any of you if I just said the 90th minute because it doesn't mean anything. But for fans of the movie, you'll know this 170-minute movie has the most dynamic, the most iconic, um, and and 
probably the most inimitable scene that could ever be put to a crime epic, which is a conversation between Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, between Neil McCauley and Vincent Hanna. And uh, it's, it's like a climax in the middle of this movie and sort of action-packed machismo movie. And we're going to unpack it. We're going to watch the minute together. And then these lovely folks, as part of the show, are going to come back and unpack it with us. So have a watch, and then we're going to come back and talk about it. McNeil is tough as they say. You looking to become a penologist? You looking to go back? You know, I chase down some crews, guys just looking to fuck up, get busted back at you. You must have worked some dipshit crews. I worked all kinds. You see me doing throat seeker liquor store holdups with a born to lose tattoo on my chest? No, I do not. Right. I am never going back. Then don't take down scores. I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best, trying to stop guys like me. So you never wanted a regular type life? The fuck is that? Barbecues and ball games? That is the agony of this show. That right in the middle of a scene, things can stop. Sometimes it works out beautifully. Sometimes you're right in the middle of a minute and it feels like it was designed, custom made for you. And I know everyone in the crowd right now is like, just keep playing the scene, you idiot. We just want to watch that. But right now, that is what we're going to talk about. This is the beginning of the scene. There was one or two lines um, that happened just before. There was an introduction in the previous minute for folks who don't remember. Vincent Hanna, who's Al Pacino, is driving in his car, chasing after Neil McCauley. And you think, oh, God, what's going to happen? He pulls him over. He says a great line. We say I get you a cup of coffee. We say I buy you a cup of coffee. And they come into Kate Mandolini's, which is now closed, and they sit down and have this conversation. In the quietest restaurant in Los Angeles, there's yeah. no one else making a noise. <laughs> no one's talking. Just a few plates clattering. Gentlemen? I'm completely shocked that that was one minute. Is that seriously one minute? That is one minute. I started looking at it, started getting entranced by it, looking at Robert De Niro's eyebrows, his facial hair... <laughs> The, the landscape <laughs> on top of his engrossed face <laughs> and I just couldn't believe that's one minute it's one minute so I'm shocked I'm absolutely shocked do you think I'm lying I've just changed it to one 35 second well, chunk of heat now I can see the running time so I can 57 episodes in he wants to mix it up for a special occasion <laughs> no it's not it's the next surprise yeah. it's actually just 20 no, seconds not, not yet not this not is like 2020 cricket we're going to change the format to eight, 80 second minutes <laughs> no we're not quite there yet now, I want to know, we're coming into this like meeting a little late. They're already in the restaurant. Do you reckon they, they just got in, yeah, yeah. Do you reckon they had a bite to eat? Ooh. Do you reckon, do they order? Like, you can't just get a table and they go, well, I'm going to just have coffee. The sauce bottle is very full. Uh, so I'd say <laughs> if I mean, they I mean, did have a bite to eat, it wouldn't have been anything that required. They're in an Italian ketchup. restaurant in that white shirt. You would be sauce stains. Come on. Well, why would you? Why would you? Is it? What is it? A ketchup bottle? Yeah. Look at your shirt. Yeah. Well, what do you do though? <laughs> if, you, if you're meeting someone who's on the opposite side of the law and ideologically opposed to you, do you get a bowl of chips? And Are you meant to? Aren't you meant to break bread? Like, isn't that where the term <laughs> came from? When you're meeting a yeah. An enemy? But burglar? is it? But what if it's fried potato? It's not the same as breaking bread. True. It loses the religious element. Are they even drinking any coffee? Well, Do that's what I want to know because they would have had to ask for a table and the woman would, or man or woman would have said, so am I getting you, is it drinks or food There's as well? service there, I find. There's no one interrupting this conversation no, all, over no. seven minutes. Yeah. I, what I'd love to see is just off screen about here, 
is someone leaning over who doesn't have a, bo- a bottle of sauce on their table <laughs> and wants to <laughs> lean in to borrow it. But it looks like a really intense conversation <laughs> and you can't wait for a natural pause. To just want the just, sauce, man. If I just see a hand come into frame and grab like, it. I love this scene so much because it's, it's based on a true story. There's like a... Uh, in 19... I think it was in about the 19... Sort of... Uh, circa 60s, 50s in Chicago, there's a famous police officer named Charlie or Chuck Adamson who is a friend of Michael Mann's and he, Michael Mann came from Chicago. Anyway, he was hunting a real-life criminal called Neil McCauley and in the middle of their... In the middle of hunting him down, he knew that a heist was going to be happening soon and he knew that he was going to be in trouble and he just saw him walking across the street and he went, hey, what do you say I buy you a cup of coffee? And they actually had a conversation. Sort of has the similar structure to this. You know, not quite as pretty. But he literally sat down with him and had a conversation and said, you know, we're talking like a couple of regular guys. But if you do this next score, I'm going to put you down. And so Michael Mann had been like stewing on this for basically 20 odd years to get to this scene, to get to this sort of uh, thing happening. And these guys themselves, 1976... uh, oh, sorry, 1974 is Godfather Part 2. These guys, 21 years before had been in a movie, never been in another movie together, circling each other. Two guys who were method actors, Brando sort of protégés, and here they are on screen But together. this is also the legend with this, with this particular scene was that these two guys didn't actually act in the same scene together because it's all shot one-on-one subjective frame. So even, if, even, at the, uh, even as we're looking, so you've... A lot of people for the longest time, and that's why I got these guys as a little bit of a celebration and a thank you. Um, I got these guys these T-shirts, which is a profile shot of these guys. Because for the longest time, you know, this is kind of right at the cusp of the internet, like when it was sort of the, the, uh, everyone taking up the internet. So people just didn't know that they'd ever acted together. And there are all these theories, oh, that's a stand-in, that was never Pacino. And then on the flip side, when it's like Pacino acting, oh, that's a stand-in, that couldn't be De Niro. Because the rumours were they, they were too big, yeah, they were too big a personality. They refused to be on set with one another and all that sort of stuff. All this nonsense. And but be like this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Would not be on set with yeah, all the really people. Here, are you? But so then what started happening, as those theories started coming and the internet was growing, you know, the, yeah. the, someone started putting out pictures, which is the first picture that I put up before, is like, these guys were on set, Michael Mann was there, and in fact, he shot it with two cameras on either side and one camera as a profile, just never used it. So you never actually got to see them in the scene together. Yeah, because the whole thing is he, he said he tried it, he originally had it as a profile shot when he originally shot it. And then he said, well, as I was cutting it, the intensity was just lowered every time he cut to a profile shot. If you did it on the one-on-one, because it's a much more a subjective thing, it becomes much more intense and much faster paced scene. Otherwise, the energy just gets lost. Is this your favourite scene of the movie? Yeah, I think so. I think it's the one that sticks... It's the one I'll like bring up on YouTube just to watch from now and then. What about you? Because it's probably one of your favourite lines, isn't it? The born to lose tattoo on the chest. Yeah, it's one of my. It's these are my. You know, if you're my friends, if you're my friends, and you've especially if you like heat, you usually get text messages that are all <laughs> the lines from this exact dialogue. What do you see me doing? Three thrill seeker liquor store huddles with a born to lose tattoo on my chest, which takes a long time to write. It does. <laughs> I've got good. You just cut and paste. <laughs> I've just got a. I've just got a notes. I just copy and paste. Um, but yeah. I'd have to say it's this is like Michael Mann started making movies uh, late because all of his contemporaries are folk like Francis Ford Coppola, you know, Martin Scorsese, John Cassavetes, and they all made movies in New Hollywood, right? Sort of 68 to 80. He went and made TV, made Miami Vice. So he gave us those delightful flamingos and tight white pants and all the all the other great things that came out of the first series of Miami Vice. Bruce Willis's career, Liam Neeson's <laughs> career, they came in as villains in Miami Vice. And so what 
uh, I I love the tension that these guys bring into this scene, and I love that I'm I'm I'm. It's the first time in the movie that I'm both watching Robert De Niro. For me, I'm watching Robert De Niro as Neil McCauley, and I'm watching Vincent Hanna as Al Pacino at the same time because I think there's so much. There's like all this energy that's not even in the words. Like the words are great, the tension's great, but there's like all this law. There's like this stuff is happening. There's some like movie magic in this in this take and right the, now. The thing I love is, and I noticed just watching it again yesterday, was the physicality in Pacino, the way he uses his hand at the beginning. Like they're yeah. both very still and they both just use their hand to great effect. Like yeah. if you go back, if we can go back to the... Felix, the, can we can we go, go back, back to the first minute and just watch what Pacino does with his right hand just on the table. Oh, back a little. Scroll to your left. as tough as they say. You're looking to become a penologist? You're looking to go back? You know, I... Oh, 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 no. That's, no, that's good. That's good. Where that was, was good. That, yeah. was, that was perfect. Seven years in full. Yeah, yeah. This, this hand stuff. Just where he starts to... In the hole for three. McNeil before that. Look at the... I love the eye contact and the yeah. look away. It's press... McNeil is tough as they Pause say. it or kill the sound for a sec. Yeah. The, every time they both talk to each other, they kind of got that super organic, like, I'm going to look over here to like ponder what I actually want a point to make, and then their eyes get dragged back to the centre. They're just get, like looking at them dead centre. Oh, the body language is incredible. This sort of scene. That's actually part of the reason why it works so much. As you said, with De Niro, he's incredibly controlled, and that's the whole point of his character. He's like, uh, entirely efficient. He, all the mannerisms he can exude are yeah. under control, tight control. Yeah. And where his head is almost like a fireball just like holding in when he turns. Yeah. And we've seen him go off at everyone else who's <laughs> underneath him <laughs> in this film. Yeah. Like yeah. to date. So we've seen yeah. him like yell at people and really sort of bully people. And he knows he can't do that here. No, that's what's great about Because Neil will just get up and leave. Yes. Because he can't, can't keep him there. I think this, this film kind of leaves you at multiple points just begging for a moment that's crystallised drama between two people on opposite sides of the law. I mean, it's based in a version of LA that's really a, co a concrete jungle of characters and the structure is very sprawling. I mean, how many talking parts are there in this place? 76? Yeah. I think 76 we found. There's an enormous amount of talking points. So when you get to this uh, scene where it's two of these two key characters played by the titanic forces um, of these actors, it's, it's a moment where you take a breath and you actually have time to pause and contemplate the animosity because a lot of this film is a very sprawling canvas of uh, Los Angeles as this concrete jungle of, of personalities intersecting. And I'm sorry, my daughter, my daughter, if people are hearing on the recording, the garble, it's my 18-month-old who, who <laughs> talks as much as I did at her age. Um, and, uh, you know, she really wants to interrupt one heat minute, but that's okay. What I was going to... I love what you said, Luke, about um, just now, about these guys. But in... You cat and mouse movies are, you know, thrilling for this very reason. You know that, you know, the crooks are seeing the whole picture. They've built the puzzle and we're watching these great cops, hopefully, you know, people who are good at their jobs, like putting all the puzzle pieces together and actually figuring it out step by step as you're going through it. The, the next, the, the cool thing about this scene, which I love and I think makes this entire film is Vincent knows the game that he plays and the way to change the game or the way to completely shift the, the, the tension, if you like, is to go... Oh, no, I'm just going to go talk to this guy. Well, like they've already shown their hand from the, the, the heist where they make the noise. Yeah, well, they show their hand there and then also that they get looked at. Yeah. They get seen in the, in the warehouse yard. So, so let's just go straight to it. You want to know what they're looking at? Yeah. 
Look at us. Look at us. But I mean, a lesser storyteller would have set this like in like this would have been in the police station in an interrogation room. Trying is to that, do, is trying that to you do saying this. Christopher Nolan's a lesser storyteller than Michael Mann? Maybe. maybe. Uh, yeah, actually I am. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Come on down, Nolan. But no, but what a great setting to do it. Like, why, who would set this, of all places, like these two icons going at each other in a, di- it, it a dingy be, little diner? I said it. The Christopher Nolan thing is a Dark Knight reference, though. It would be weird if the Joker was just ordering a coffee. You know, <laughs> and Batman too. And having a casual conversation. Yeah, that, sure. That would, would be it? slightly odd. I reckon it might put a whole new twist on the Dark Knight. <laughs> May have solved a lot of the problems. <laughs> but with a lot of the films like this up, they normally the conversation is much more antagonistic. Whereas with here, you basically have two hunters. Uh, there was a good description of this. Two hunters uh, putting their weapons down to discuss the methodology of their, mm. of their kills, essentially. Yes. And you don't get that kind of thing in most other movies. It's much more sort of, uh, I'm this clear-cut hero. I, I see myself as the villain, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's not like that sort of dimensional. And the only there's a little bit of antagonism at the beginning here. Tiny bit, where yeah. They're like, just posturing, this, but nothing. Is this your life? Is that your? And then they sort of they're two both Los Angeles males. There's always yeah. posturing. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a great point because each, each of these characters actually believe they're the hero of their own stories. Yes, I mean, mm. there, there is if you look at it from a legal point of view, a, uh, you know, a, 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 a hero and a villain, but life. And this film is a little bit more complicated than that. They, they both believe they're doing the right thing. Much. And I think that it's... What happens, I think, is like it, as you stretch this out, there's a hot... Right now, we can still appreciate Neil as being a professional. Like, we've seen him kill... We've seen him kill someone in the, in the, um, uh, the armoured car vehicle, but that was out of necessity and, like, a rogue dude. We've wanted him to put that guy down because, you know, he doesn't want it... In that moment, I don't want to kill people. I don't want to kill any innocent people. So you can still kind of see that... He's an all right guy. Even up to the bank heist later, there's still that. But right now, we kind of... There's still... We're allowed to sort of forget that he just murdered innocent people and that his crew murdered innocent people. I think it starts to take a turn from this moment where, like, he does that next heist and they're just indiscriminate. The guns are just blazing in that iconic shootout scene and people are just being laid waste and there's... You know, they don't care if they live or die. And you're like, all right now I really actually have to kind of not like this guy. But right now you love him. You're right up for this. But we also forgive Vincent for sort of being a bit of a shitty person because he can get to this guy. Yes. So it shows that he'll destroy everything in his life to get to him. And it shows that he's very good at his job as well, which is important. Um, So for folks listening maybe later um uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna ask my three legendary guests right now if they want to uh, relinquish their seats on the stage i have one more surprise can we just flick to the slideshow please i have one more surprise guest that i'd like to invite this is a huge one for me uh she uh is an amazing author uh she is uh an amazing writer a prodigious writer and she's also one of my dearest friends and we've shared this very stage together on a podcast a dead one now it's dead um called pod save our screen um, her name's Maria Lewis. If you just want to give her an intro song, please. Give her a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. We are And this is for you, Maria. Really cool that you had him up. I'm a big fan of Joe Lynch. 
and I interviewed him at San Diego Comic Con in, I want to say it was 2012 when he was there promoting Knights of Bardustum. Yeah. Bardustum, I can't even say it anymore. But I got to meet Peter Dinklage for the first time and Ryan Quantin was there promoting it. And it was just, I don't know, it was just really weird. I was like, wow, it was like six years ago. It's really cool. It totally seems like the kind of thing he'd be into, this podcast and your shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a term endearing. Like, he's, he's picking up what you're putting down. Uh, exactly. And, and so, I get this text. 9.52 p.m. <laughs> yeah. Would you say Heat's your favourite movie of all time? This is what best friends do. They just don't fucking listen to you at any point in time. Because clearly... I just, I just wanted to be crystal fucking clear. Like, I get it. You're doing a minute-by-minute minute podcast on a three-hour movie. But I just want to, like, let's just get it out of the way. Is it definitely your favourite movie of all time? And... My response was one word, unequivocally. She, she went, righto. <laughs> Are you 100% sure you want me on one minute tomorrow night if I'm not enthused about the movie? And so what I said was, absolutely. So yeah. you've seen this movie for the first time. I have, I have. First time. I'd never seen Heat before. I think mainly because it just seemed like a lot of boy shit. And I definitely felt that way after the movie too. I was like, boy shit, yeah, okay, cool. But it was also one of those things that's interesting about going back and revisiting a classic that you've never seen before but has influenced countless other movies. It's a weird sort of like displacement. Like I remember watching Pulp Fiction for the first time after I'd already seen, you know, Kill Bill, Vol 1 and 2, Jackie Brown, that kind of thing, and being like, oh, like you can see all the visual cues that people have taken from that movie. And especially with Heat because you have always spoken about Heat in the same conversation as The Dark Knight, a movie which... Both of us love. We both have Batman tattoos. We're both mad Batman obsessives. And watching Heat, I was like, oh, I totally get it now. I can 100% see where that comes from. But I was also just watching the movie being like, fuck, three hours. Oh, my God. Like, (laughs) it was just like so long. It was genuinely so long. I felt like I started it as a teenager and I finished it like in retirement. (laughs) It was incredibly long. And I was watching those opening credits as well, though. And being like, fuck, this movie runs so deep. Like, the cast is incredible. Besides, like, obviously, it's all about having a massive boner for De Niro and El Pacino and Val Kilmer and whatever. But it's like, Tone Lock? Yeah. Like, Funky Cole Medina? Yes, he like, is in wow, this movie. wow, thing. And he's really good. <laughs> he's good. I was like, that's upsetting. How dare he, like, be semi-proficient? But also Ted Levine or Levin, however you say his name, Buffalo Bill, you know? Yeah, from Sons of the Land. Exactly. Is she a great big fat person? Like, he's in there. <laughs> Wes Studi, might I say, one of my favourite villain roles from Deep Rising, which came out, I think, maybe two years after Heat. Yeah. But, like, the But cast, he was a killer villain also in Last of the Mohicans. From, yeah, he's amazing. He's an incredible yeah. actor. Like, incredible he's just got that face like that don't fuck with me face that you just are inherently drawn to on screen but also the basque assassin from the jackal one of my favorite (laughs) movies of all time and totally underrated with the two inch bangs just being like (laughs) such a massive dying venora for anyone who's listening and they don't know we're talking about pacino's wife in the movie for the three people and richard gears partners who have seen the jackal (laughs) stew's nodding there he is such (laughs) an (laughs) <laughs> Mate, it is such a good movie. I will ride or die for the jackal. I could do a one minute per whatever podcast <laughs> on the jackal and three people would listen to it. But I was so excited to see her because I was like, yeah, vengeance bangs. Like yeah. she's just vengeance all the time. Two, four, seven, three, six, five. Oh my God. And one thing that you did also say before, after you were, we were talking about, mm. I was just getting your assurances that you didn't 
hate the movie. I didn't hate the movie. I was just like, but you I did say something it. about De Niro. Like, that yeah. What did you say about De Niro to me on the phone? Do you want me to reveal it, or will you? You can reveal it. Well, she said, "I like. I'm really. I was shocked <laughs> at how attracted." To Robert De Niro I was in this movie And I wasn't prepared for it I wasn't I've <laughs> never looked at Robert De Niro And be like I would fuck you But in <laughs> heat I was like I would fuck you Except I do not buy Judging Amy and him together Like no I'm sorry I love There's how she doesn't know Any character names It's just whatever they've been in That she's seen them in after Bangs from the jackal Judging <laughs> Amy bangs, bangs Right That's the whole Like key plot point Is that you know If you're a Basque militant You're like Never forget a vendetta Which I really respect And relate to on a deep level but like him and Amy, judging amy getting together i was like mm, don't buy it Nuh-uh. 20 years difference like come on guys don't buy it you know it's a really funny story about that because in the 20 like it's it's now nearly the 25th anniversary of this movie around the 20th anniversary they did this awesome like refresh of the movie they screened it had the entire cast there michael mann all the act all the big actors up on stage and at the, someone asked a great question to amy brenneman who uh, uh, who plays um, Edie in judging this movie amy. she plays judging amy another thing um but she's she remembers reading the script yeah. and going oh no i hate this it's too much violence i'm not yeah. gonna do it and michael mann's no no that's precisely why we want you to do yeah, it yeah you want somebody who's like uncom- everyone else in that world is comfortable by it and used to it and you want someone who the violence and the horror and like the everyday death like just the cash might go to work get a sandwich might be shot in the neck ness <laughs> of it like that's just part of the job you sign up for that you want somebody who that seems completely foreign and strange to and it really comes across well also shout out to ashley judd who i love Killer. so much she just like in the 90s was crushing it like with du- Double Jeopardy in particular. <laughs> but um, what was the other one she did with Morgan Freeman where he's Alex Kiss the Girls. Was, Kiss the Girls. Yeah. I always think of like the second one because it was directed by Lee Tomahiri, who I'm a big fan of. But Kiss the Girls, she's so good. Double Jeopardy, like let's go, man. Ashley Judd rocks. And I love her as like, um, let's say like origin story of Jackie Weaver and Animal Kingdom kind of thing. <laughs> like, is, is, that, is that your that's secret how theory? With the hair. The hair and like a little bit like rough and edgy and I just like... Sick of Val Kilmer's shit. I was sick of it after five minutes. I looked at that ponytail and I was like, get out. Hank Azaria is not the exit choice. Like, just be by yourself for a bit. Don't, like, rely on another gross man. But then there was that really nice scene that she had with the detective when they're um, holed up in the apartment. And he's like, you know, he, Hank Azaria calls her bitch. We're like, do it, bitch. Whatever, bitch. I'm like, oh, God. And the detective's like, don't you fucking talk to her like that. And I was like, maybe you guys could, like, sort it out, you know, once this is all over. McKelty Williamson, you reckon? I think that's a great yeah. theory. I'm happy with it. Yeah, I think so. And, and she just has scene- to hold the weight of... Oh, this gesture. She's incredible. Oh, that scene on the bell. That you were talking about favorite scenes before. Yeah. The scene with her on the balcony in the little hand motion she makes to Val Kilmer, the way she looks at him and the way that he looks back at her, the lighting, the mood, the score. That's my favorite scene from the movie by yes. far. And we're here. We're in the middle of the other iconic scene in the movie. Yeah. yeah. It's really funny that you said that. There's a really great upcoming episode uh, that I recorded a long time ago actually with an Aussie editor um, uh, named Luke Doolan, who's a um, he's been Academy Award nominated for making a short film. He's edited a bunch of stuff. He's from Blue Tongue, right? Blue Tongue. All the guys guys who made like Animal Kingdom and stuff, he's in that wheelhouse. And I asked him, I sent him a note and I said, uh, what's your favourite scene that you'd want to do in the movie? And he said, the Ashley Judd hand scene. Like, so he's already locked that down. Otherwise, I'd say, you're welcome to come back. 
I'm no longer doing multiple minutes despite the fact that I can. It's even scarier that this 170-episode project it could go bigger. I can't believe you chose to do this for this movie. Like, I understand it's your favourite, but still, like, three hours? <laughs> Just under. Ten minutes under. Oh. Yeah, all right. I'm not, not going to say what I was going to say. It's let's really let's get back. To, let's get back to this minute. Yes, this. So minute. you actually like this minute, though? Yeah, I did. As I really a, as liked a, it. As a writer and, a, and as a person who you love true crime stuff, so yeah. I would imagine you would eat sort of this the oh, weirdness of this scene up. For sure, like was mad keen for it, and I love a good dialogue scene. Like I'm one of those people who. I, like, I never can work out whether this is a compliment or, like, a fucking dig. But, like, people come up to me and be like, oh, I really loved your book. You write dialogue really well. And I'm like, thank you? Because in a book, like, you have so many pages. It's, like, most of it has to be sort of, like, narrative. Like, you're describing things and stuff like that. So, whenever someone's like, oh, you write dialogue well or I like the dialogue, I'm like, I, I hope that's a compliment. Like, I hope that means it I'm is. not doing the rest of the stuff shit. It is. But I especially like this scene because I'm a big fan of... It reminded me of The Wire a little bit, right? Yeah. There's a lot of moments in The Wire where you have, not just between McNulty, but between a lot of different people who are ideologically opposed and technically should be on the other side of whatever the line is, you know? Yeah. And there's a really great scene actually between, oh, a bunch of them between McNulty and Stringer Bell, played by Idris Elba and Dominic West, respectively, um, where they have discussions about stuff. And you kind of get this idea that if it was a different situation, if it was a different time, those people would get along. And you can yeah. see these two guys relate to each other on a very deep level, but at the same time know that this is going to end like pretty horribly. And I also really like the scene because it's the most restrained Pacino is in the whole movie. Yes. And I don't you weren't en- a big fan of Pacino in this movie. I don't enjoy his, him as an actor um, and I didn't like him in this movie. It's just like that fucking great ass scene. <laughs> I, ca- I just kept thinking of on Hollywood Babylon yes. when Ralph Garman does a great ass. And yeah. I'm just like, oh, fuck me. Get him out of here. <laughs> Hose him down. Get him out. You see, this is the problem of you seeing it in isolation. Mm. So very recently, it was my first time on the big screen and Vincent, like Neil is so intense. Like when you're sitting in a dark room and you've got a screen there and, and you've got all this dialed in focus, like Neil's intensity, which happens really, like you can see it, you can see it in, the, in, the, in the screen that we were showing before. When you see it in the frame for so long and everything about it is there, all the Pacino bits are actually relief. Like it feels like gallows humor. Like, you know, he finds out, they're like, Vincent, we can't chase the cell. Oh, that's wonderful. Bang. And he's like, I'm sorry the damn chicken but got out of it. That's like, also that really authentic as well yeah. to that job. Like I was a police reporter for several years. That's how I started out my writing career was I was 16 and finished high school and started working at the local newspaper on the police beat. And the sense of humour that you have and the things that you discuss with detectives and your contacts and your sources, and this is before social media, so you couldn't just, like, search on Twitter, poo jogger, and be like, (laughs) oh, there's all the answers. (laughs) This was, like, when you had to fucking get out the phone book and build contacts with people and know who you could speak to and do these things called death knocks where you would literally find out the relatives of people who had died in some horrible way that was newsworthy for the paper and go knock on their fucking door and be like, hi, I'm really sorry, you know, do you have any comments? the paper like really rough stuff but the kind of humor you develop in and around that like I always wonder like who was the person who was I before that happened like before I was a police reporter because that humor stays with you and that's the way people deal with it it's the same for like paramedics emergency workers like anyone who has to deal with some really heavy stuff day to day the type of humor is really black that you develop as a coping mechanism and so what's great about it when you watch it in the context of that focus and there's no distractions is that like 
their like pressure valve releases for you. So like I understand what you're saying. Like he's big and he's he's all over the place. But and and the restraint is there. But I tell you what, like he was an MVP in the screening that the most recent screening that we watched. It was just so wonderful to see him. Like you're just like, oh, thank God, because the intensity, the the score and the mood of this film. It, there's so many moments where you're like completely fired up. But let's talk about this. You like these guys, this scene, and yeah. and particularly in these performances. Are you into their performances in this scene? I'm into the chemistry between the two of them and, like, definitely in a homo way, you know? <laughs> like, there's, there's something... Okay. Ma- there's a magneticness about the two of them. Like, they're attracted to each other and have a respect for each other and for what the other person does, even if that is, like, an illegal armed robber who may occasionally have dealings with Henry Rollins in a terrible box blazer <laughs> for no explicable reason. It's so upsetting. It's tone Loke, Henry uh, Rollins. He was casting out of the punk scenes uh, in both is punk William, and... Is it William Kitchener? Is that how you say William his name? William Fickner. Fickner. Why did I go Kitchener? Anyway, I love him and I love his really high cheekbones that just <laughs> bounce. He just plays villains, like really interesting kind of oily villains. That was like a big takeaway is like so many people were oily in this movie. I just wanted to shampoo it. Like hang Kazaria, especially, I just like want to shampoo you with some head and shoulders, exfoliate you, sort it out because it's just like, ugh. But that's kind of the point is it's supposed to be a little bit like a little bit gritty and make you feel a little bit dirty just by association. Well, speaking of lather, let's get my entire panel yeah. of awesome people back on the stage. We're going to bring one more chair. Please welcome them back to the stage. You're, you're staying up here. Sit down. Gentlemen, please join us right. back on the stage. I'm going to do, I'm going to, um, I'm, I'm going to be the moderator person oh. from the side here. Garth, you can take this seat. Oh, look, you're going to sit on the floor. No, sit on the chair. Sit on the chair. There you go. And my daughter is uh, attempting to sort of be a streaker in the middle of this podcast. She's, tr- she's trying to add another woman <laughs> to the panel and I respect that. I appreciate it, she'll Hazel. Be, she'll be there. She'll be there soon. Um, what, have I, what have we missed in this scene? What, what, what have we not, what has not been said in this scene other than the boundless amount of performance? Why, why were people so goddamn obsessed with this $60 million movie? I was thinking about what you said before, Luke, um, how you were saying, like, what were they eating? And the discussion of whether it was fries. And I imagined it like a Lady in the Tramp scenario where they had a hot dog and they were like, like taking a little like line, line of dialogue, bite of the hot dog, just getting closer and closer and closer well, together. Let's go to the tape. I think let's just go to the video ref. I don't, I don't think I saw that in the scene. I just want to see them make out. Like, you yeah. just want to get to... But they're never going to do it. That's yeah. the tension of heat. They're just never going to quite make it. Well, that's why it's called heat, isn't it? It's not flames. No. It's the heat. And even at the end, you're like, he's yeah. dying. Give him a kiss. Like, so you're saying there's like a three-hour courtship movie, essentially. Why not? Garth, as somebody who reads uh, gay eroticism into everything, whether it be a chair True. or a movie... True. Reads it, Mike. <laughs> writes did you, did it. You, even, yeah. menu, even menus. Come on. <laughs> did you get that vibe? Uh, not actually. Funny enough, no. No, this is one of actually one of the considering. Uh, yeah, now I usually can. Like it's very un <laughs> erotic for a movie. Now, if did you know Keanu was meant to be in Val Kilmer's role? Ah, would that have changed things for you, or about what? Just his. Just would you have liked to see Keanu in that role? No, it's the character. It's not yeah. about who it is. I thought Val Kilmer did a really good role. I'm just not like into like super aggressive masculine dudes smashing plates next to you know their partner's heads and shit i'm just like it's called problem solving (laughs) (laughs) that's how we do it (laughs) he escalated it (laughs) yeah cool um i would have killed him in his sleep and then taken the kid and left so i don't i don't think Stu is not a spokesman for the me too movement just unequivocally (laughs) i don't think it would have made much difference but like I really liked Phil Kilmer. I thought he did a really good job. And also Jeremy Piven, oh, aging yeah. backwards. Yeah. He's in um, 
oh god i feel is it the no it's I want to say it's the Pelican Brief, but like it's one of those John. They had like ten John Grisham movies. They were just like jizzing them out every like six <laughs> months for a period in the nineties. And I remember seeing him pop up in one of those with like the he had like the receding hairline, and he just looked way older than what he actually was. And it's interesting, like obviously to get more money, you like you sort yourself out, get some teeth whitening, slip into entourage. Oh, the plugs, yeah, plugs, the plugs, the plugs, bro. Plugs help. Speaking of plugs, let's uh, let's plug the actual scene that we're meant to be talking about right here. Um, the, these guys were both such huge actors in the 70s acting in similar lines to each other. Where does this... Does this scene rate as their best scenes in their career for either of these guys, for you guys? I don't know, about the, I don't know if they're doing enough to be their best. I think they're having fun together, but I don't know if it's their, the ultimate... I like career. that though. Like, I don't know if you need to necessarily be like, you know, screaming Stella no. at the sky for it to be like what the Academy consider like a flashy performance. I really like the restraint. It's probably one of my favorite things about it. And the little things, the little hand gestures that you guys were talking yeah. about before and the eye contact and stuff like that. And well, the, the, uh, the dream sequence is what does it for me. When they start, to, I know it's not this minute strictly, but when they start talking about the dreams, which was, was it ad libbed that. De Niro went, they both ad-libbed and he just went with him when he said, and the way he sort of leans in and start, you start to see the little fractures and the light coming in between the two of them. I love that when they start going back Well, for forth. a movie that's so based on the, uh, intense action for a whole bunch of the runtime, to have a scene like this, which is very sedate, be the crux of the movie, it all basically centres down to this scene, ultimately. And it's not long, uh, like, what's, the, a, what's the conversation scene in Hunger? That's like 20 minutes back and forth, isn't it? Yeah. With Liam Cunningham and Michael Fassbender. I, I think it's... Oh, this is, is pedantic. No, I think it's about 17. Like, you're okay. really close. Yeah, yeah so I love this, that scene. And this gets what a weird pull to pull this, hunger into this. But this... Oh, in terms of, like, the one-on-one conversation, yeah. in terms of, like, the way... That's got a lot more time to yeah. play with. Like, this but doesn't have But the thing as well is, like, hunger... There's really nothing going on... Um, in like there's nothing going on in the background it's all about what's happening in the foreground there's not yeah. much of visual interest and in this it's the exact opposite there's so much stuff the scene is so busy people moving around how many extras would be in that scene how many people have to be exactly well, have yeah. to be coordinated yeah. doing stuff and for you to still be focusing in on them like it's a real and also as a performer i'm sure that'd be really hard like somebody you know fucking around in the background or like fake pouring coffee and stuff like that and you having to be so laser focused on this one other person sitting across from you yeah i think in terms of whether it's um their greatest performances my opinion is it's not um but i would add to that my a very significant caveat in that i think michael mann was quite deliberately casting them for their baggage um, yes. Rather than casting them against their type, so with with a film with you know seventy five people in speaking roles, these guys yes they're they're the marquee actors and they're, and they're right on there in the poster and they're very pivotal to the you know dramatic velocity of the film. But I think he is very deliberately coasting on uh, a very brilliant couple of careers that came before it. Because Pacino's best work is Dunk Pacino in Jack and Jill. I think <laughs> still holds a record. Well, the, the other thing is, like, from a directorial point of view, how hard it would be, like you say, 75 speaking roles, right? But so many of the people in those speaking roles are ones who've 
basically their bread and butter has been really oddball specific character roles. I mean, I keep bringing up Ted Levin, but like he was just in The Alienist and I was like, what? But he's also like from Home Alone and it's just like somebody who's like a chameleon. They completely wipe out everything they've done before as they jump from thing to thing. Kind of same with West Study, except for his face being so specific and iconic. It's like, it must be, have been such a challenge to try and manage so many talented people who are talented for very specific reasons in scenes or like a few lines of dialogue alongside heavyweights like Pacino, like De Niro. So it's a really it's a really great point because you've got all these chameleons around that aren't distracting you. And I think for the most part, for the most part, I think uh, De Niro does a, an amazing job just sort of living in the skin of Neil McCauley. He gets into that grey suit and he's just there. Like it, he sort of he does De Niro stuff. Stu often teases that his head doesn't ever go off a 45-degree angle for the entire movie. Um, but uh, uh, Exhibit A, Your Honour, um, looking up on the screen in this moment. But, but that's because uh, he's always dodging bullets, you know. <laughs> it's just like the muscles are built that way. And so, but there's, but there's, that, there's that sort of look. But I think here, they sort of... There's a couple of smiles, a wry smile or two. There's a couple of knowing things. Luke, don't. We're not going to get started. There's not a smile in this minute we can examine. So don't get started on this right now. <laughs> I like examining smiles. <laughs> it does disagree. It's a callback to previous episodes. <laughs> Said the serial killer. <laughs> yeah, um, but so, but in this moment, every single pass role, you're looking at, you know, you're looking at Serpico across from Taxi Driver. You're looking at Michael Corleone, uh, you know, from the younger version of Ito. You want everything in that. Like, you, you're, you've loaded all into this scene. You throw it at it all the time and you can't wait for it. And you're like, this is, it's almost the part of the movie where they're like, okay, I'm going to just take off the costume that says I'm Vincent Hanna and I'm Al Pacino right now. And I'm Al Pacino across from Robert De Niro. And we're going to give you a school in how to actually perform and like emote and convey things without, with all that beautiful restraint, Maz, that you were talking about. Yeah, and I think you're right. If you push it too far the other way, it's just what's what's the point? Yeah. Like you've got to have those qu- a quiet moment between them to make it land so well. And especially like this movie is all about the juxtaposition of quiet and loud. It's those quiet moments that come before you know a semi-trailer crashes into an armored van. You know, it's the or that gunfight, which is like intensely right, loud. yeah, the gunfight, stakeout, and then literally well, broken by the literally the all that stuff. It's like how he positions a quiet moment alongside a loud moment, and even the score is used like really minimally. You know, like it's just the action is the thing that is sort of like you're hearing. Like you really hear every sound effect. Mm. <laughs> silence like that now we just paired it contrasting silence loud silence um guys i think that's i think that's all we need i just want to say a huge thank you to my guests from uh my left to uh oh sorry your right to left um so we've got mr luke buckmaster again he's the writer and film critic in the australian guardian uh film uh film reviews at flicks.com.au as well as film writing and acclaimed author, Miller and Max. Give him a round of applause, please. Thank you, thank you. Garth Franklin, 21 years old. His site can now officially drink in the USA. Um, he wishes he was 21 years old. <laughs> oh, yeah. As young as, as, young as old, that's quite a different thing. As young as that beautiful, beautiful photo. photo. I was going to say so much innocence, but we know that's oh, not yeah. true. No, absolutely <laughs> not true. Um, but one of the most, uh, I actually said in a recent podcast, uh, so you're going to be, you would have already heard it if you follow along on the podcast, he's actually um, uh, 
got going to have a boring biopic uh, if it was just about his website because he created the most ethical movie news site online and it's boring. Uh, so sorry. <laughs> we'll have to go to the personal life to get there. Thank you, Garth. Give Garth a round of applause. Um, huge, huge thank you um, to my former permanent co-pilot on Pod Save Our Screen and one of my dearest friends of all time, Maria Lewis, a prodigious author and talent and just so much fun to talk to, which is uh, a huge surprise guest for the show. Thank you so much, Maz. You're the best. I love you. Um, and uh, Sex bob was her hot theme there, which I was really thoroughly enjoyed putting together. And uh, Mr. Stu Coot, Stu is, um, is the glue uh, that holds uh, these crazy uh, drunken madmen together when we all get together, um, often taking us off on weird tangents and uh, strange phrases just for his own giggling. Um, but I just want to say a huge thank you to Stu Coot. If you don't listen to his podcast, The Cinephiles, it is uh, basically where you go on and confess your cinematic sins, um, all the key sins, you know, Gluttony, pride, uh, lust. Ooh, I got there. Yeah, it went straight there. Um, but I went on there uh, to talk about heat, and they were uh, great to have me on. But it's a riffing podcast. So if you guys want to check that out, please do. Thank you, Stu. Uh, and if you could just go, there's a second last slide here. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review. I don't know if the whole time. Whatever. iTunes, go into your podcasting app. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us in all good pod places. There we go, right there. And uh, we are around the place. Um, so thank you so much for listening to pod, uh, this podcast live at the Sydney Film Festival, One Heat Minute. Thank you for joining us, the people live in the audience. Thank you. Little, a little uh, modest clap for Felix and our other engineer over there in the corner. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and I've been Blake Howard, and this has been One Eight Minute at the Sydney Film Festival. Thank you. Woo!